0: We're all taught threat and error management in flight schools, and it's incorporated into multi-crew and single-pilot operation training. But if the crew has no process or doesn't take the opportunity to recognise the warning signs and mitigate the threat, then it's all for nothing. In this episode, I'm going to finish off our discussion on threat and error management by looking at undesired aircraft states, non-technical skills, what it all is, and how to mitigate the risk when flying. All this and more coming right up, so strap in and let's get into it. Coordinating on a pressure rolling at 30 degrees. 30 degrees there. G'day everyone and welcome to episode 81 of the Flight Training Australia Podcast. The podcast all about flight training and flying in Australia and beyond. G'day, I'm your host, Trent Robinson. Thank you for joining me. Well, it has been a lot happening since my return from Perth. Back in the training, as always, of course. Nice to go flying in a real aeroplane. Not in the simulator, but uh, really good to get airborne. Still lots of smoke around in Darwin, but beautiful weather otherwise. It's been fantastic. Do have some exciting news that uh, I have been uh, holding onto for a little bit, but we'll be announcing more to come but I have applied for my sole part 141 uh, instructor training certificate. So as I mentioned uh, a month or so ago, the CAS has changed the rules and allowed uh, a single instructor to basically apply for all the training endorsements that they hold and operate as a flying school would. Uh, So I'm apparently number two in the queue there. Um, It's all underway and to much to my surprise, CAS is right onto it, which has been fantastic. I really wasn't expecting to hear anything for some time given the staffing issues that have been going on, but, uh, they're onto it. Uh, it's been fantastic interactions so far. And, uh, after a few little tweaks to the manual, uh, everything's being reviewed at the moment. Um, yeah, a bit of a online interview chat and assessment, and then, uh, hopefully all up and running by the end of June, which would be fantastic. So I'll be able to do everything from RPL right through to instrument instructor training, um, and also caravan training I've applied for, which I used to do but haven't been able to since Part 61 uh, because you need to have a approved course of training under a one-for-one one, and it's just never been practical uh, to do that up until now. Only trick is they weren't quite expecting someone to apply of all these things, so there's been a couple of little catches, but looks like we've found a way through it and I'm very much looking forward to all that being approved. So fingers crossed everything goes well and I will let you know exactly what's going on and the changes there. As part of that process, I am no longer the head of operations at Darwin Flight Training. Um, All completely uh, friendly, (laughs) nothing malicious or nasty there. It just makes so much more sense to restructure and for me to go down this pathway. I will still be affiliated with Darwin Flight Training. We're all still friends, we'll still be helping each other using the same uh, equipment and things, but uh, it basically will just make the, the, the operation a lot more simpler. and uh, and that. So you will see uh, a change of uniform and some change of details on the Darwin Flight Training website. That's why, um, but I will still be around, so don't fret that you know where to get hold of me either way. All right, medicals. Um, some of you have been struggling with medicals. Castle keeping up with the the volume that have been coming through from renewals and initial applications, it has mean uh, or meant that people are struggling uh, to you know get jobs or be, be able to apply for a job. It's a bit hard to say that you have a medical when you don't actually physically hold it, and uh, these delays are going on far longer than some people are expecting. As such. Uh, CASA has decided to extend the renewal dates. So normally you get two months on the, uh, going to the doctor or the baby and doing your medical. And it is now expanding out to four months to just try and stop anyone getting caught up in that delay. If your initial application, not a whole lot of joy there, unfortunately, not much can be done. Hopefully just, uh, they get around to it a lot quicker, but, uh, there are some more changes in the medical system to allow Damies to process things faster, so hopefully that will all be good news for everyone and happen soon. All right, flight examiners. Any flight examiners out there listening, let me know. Actually, on that topic just quickly, um, when I do go around to places, I speak to all the students and uh, the, the staff, staff, the instructors. And generally, everyone's uh, aware of the podcast, but the senior staff or the, the, the chiefs and that have never heard of it before. Now, normally you think, well, that's okay because they know what they're doing. But I have found that sometimes the senior staff are the ones that are stuck in their ways, uh, not aware of rule changes and other things. And this podcast is the perfect way for them to get uh, abreast of those changes. So tell your chief pilots, your, your what are they called now? Head of operations, <laughs> all these name changes. I keep getting caught up. The HOFOs and the WHOs, uh, yeah, yeah, check pilots, your examiners, and all that. Get them on board. The more the merrier. Everyone's listening uh, from beginners to advanced to airline pilots and everything in between. I need some astronauts. I'll have to try and find some astronauts. That will be a good interview. I'll, I'll, if anyone knows an astronaut, let me know. All right. But uh, anyway, what I was getting at with flight examiners is that we uh, thought we were all insured. And covered. There's a thing called CAP Admin 1, which is as a CASA delegate, basically we are insured by CASA because we're performing a function on behalf of CASA. But it's just recently been revealed that proficiency checks like uh, IPCs for in- instrument ratings and flight instructor proficiency checks have not been covered, and theoretically then everyone has actually been exposed uh, during that time and uninsured, which was a bit of a shock to a lot of examiners. CASA have got onto that quite quickly and changed all that. And now flight tests, proficiency checks, and endorsements that are issued by flight examiners are now all covered, which is great. So the CAP admin one stuff's been updated. Go check that out. If you are a flight examiner or you want to know more, I can put the link in the description below, but it was announced in the latest uh, CASA monthly email. All right. Um I've, That's good for you guys too because then we don't need to pay for all this extra insurance, which means our flight test fees don't go up, so it's a win for everyone. All right, and before we get into today's topic, just a quick one. Those of you that are contacting me for 210 stuff, um, this is getting very frustrating. A lot of the operators won't hire you unless you've got some 210 or 206 time. The trick is all the 210s and 206s are flat-out flying, um, and if they're not being flying, they're being broken and they're going into maintenance and needing engines and props and just routine maintenance as, as comes in. So there's not been the capacity that I've had in the past for uh, 210 checks and prof checks. So if you have contacted me, um, this is the response that I'll be giving you. that At the moment, I just can't really do anything. I'll add your name to the list and then I'll go from the top down, and if people have sorted something out, then fantastic. Uh, I'll move on to the next person. But at the moment, yeah, unfortunately, it's just proving really, really difficult. So I sincerely apologize for that. If you are going to come up to the top end at the moment, if you can get yourself a 210, six sort of aircraft and get some time, get checked out on it. You don't need five hours. You just need to be proficient on it. That might take five hours. No worries. If not, the rest will be covered in your line training, and uh, your familiarisation flying when you get up here. But, yeah, I encourage you to do that before you come up at the moment because access to aircraft is just proving really, really challenging. All right. So moving on to the episode, and I had a little incident the other day. Uh, There's nothing special, nothing catastrophic, uh, but it did reinforce to me just how what should be a non-event has the potential to rapidly and easily become one. I'll get to that towards the end of the chat. All right, but if you haven't already, I strongly recommend listening to the previous two episodes on defensive flying for pilots, the first one being threats, episode 78, and errors covered in episode 79. And whilst you're at it, I also recommend episode 33 where I'm discussing decision-making models, which is uh, to be utilised in working your way through a problem just, just again, so when you're stressed, when you're a bit scared, nervous, anxious, whatever it is, or reacting to a situation, it's a logical flow of events and steps, just like every other checklist or mnemonic that we use to help you work through the situation and not add to the Swiss cheese and and make the situation worse or do nothing at all. All right. So the final part of our series, what we're going to talk about is non-technical skills, Undesired aircraft state's mitigation. So undesired aircraft state, what is it? Well, that's defined as a pilot-induced aircraft position or speed deviation, a misapplication of flight controls or systems or incorrect systems configuration associated with a reduced margin of safety. Now, a way we deal with threats and errors is to find ways to reduce the risk so that it doesn't turn into an undesired aircraft state and we call this mitigation. Mitigation is the process or result of making something less severe, less dangerous, painful, harsh, or damaging. How we do this? Well, we can all get to Top Gun and uh, jump in our Super Hornet, flying through the canyon, all the surface to missiles are heading for us, and what do they launch? Countermeasures. All right, what is a countermeasure? It's an action taken to counteract a danger or a threat. A measure or action taken to counter or offset another one, as a, so as a general concept, it implies precision, and is any technological or tactical solution or system designed to prevent an undesigned outcome in the process. All right, And a simple system can just be the act of a checklist or a mnemonic or a process to go through. So how does CASA have us do all these things? Well, these are all done by utilizing skills and functions that in the most part are what any person can do with little training. Don't even need to be a pilot necessarily. And these are what we fall into the category of non-technical skills. Specific human factors or competencies or skills, such as lookout, situation awareness, decision making, workload management, and communications. All right, so these are all. Factors, in, I'm sure you've seen a flight test form or training record or NTS 1 and 2, and these are all things that form part of that. So part of effective NTS in the cockpit in a two-crew environment, which could be student and instructor, check pilot and instructor, uh, applicant and examiner, or a multi-crew situation of captain and first officer, is effective communication can go a long way to resulting in a misunderstanding and potentially an undesired aircraft state. All right, now we know that communication is a process by which information is exchanged between individuals through a common system or system of symbols, signs, or behaviour. So it's a two-way process. It involves accurate transmission, receipt, and interpretation of information. And the only real way to know that is by having that, message or that symbol repeated back to you. So communication for us can be in the cockpit. It includes using an aircraft radio um, and non-verbal exchanges, hand gestures, symbols, or direct verbal contact. It can be with people outside. It can be with ground crew. It can be with cabin crew. It can be with other members of the crew. All of course, depending on the kind of operation you're doing. Interpersonal relationships are all about a social connection or an affiliation between two or more people. So involving the ability to get a positive and helpful rather than a negative and obstructive response from an individual or a group that they deal with. And that's what we're talking about we're in a cockpit environment. We need to get along. There may be a disagreement. This is obviously something that was taught in the MCC course. You may have a differing opinion on how to deal with a situation or an emergency Screaming and shouting at each other won't help. You need to find a way to to listen, to respect the other person, person's opinion and find a way in reaching a final conclusion. So all of this forms what we call NTS. Right? It shows up in flight training, in flight reviews and flight tests, but it's also coming up uh, to be part of charter operations. So part of an annual assessment and a training session is going to be form, uh, part of the 141 uh, equivalent, which is now going to be part 119, check and training process. So that's all coming in September, and all charter pilots, 121, 135 operations, et cetera, will need to go through that. And look, it can be seen as a bit of a uh, dull thing to have to do, but especially if it can be done in a group environment, it can actually be a really good and beneficial uh, session, all depending on who's delivering that process, of course. So naturally, We all heard the term before that we want safe skies. Worldwide statistics indicate that about 75% of aircraft accidents are caused by human factors deficiencies. Now, you would have heard me mention plenty of times before that NTS and TEM is just not another name for airmanship, but rather it creates a scientific method to teaching and assessing airmanship. Areas of judgment are almost independent of experience level. They often remain consistent as flight experience increases. So I'll reiterate again. This is not a student pilot thing. This is not a young pilot thing. This is something that needs to be considered and respected throughout your entire aviation career as a pilot. So let's look at some situations, and my recent situation, and discuss some threats, identify some possible errors and undesired aircraft states that could or did result Now, let's start with a simple one, and that's good old lookout. You've heard me mention it before, and I often see a hell of a lot of trust with people out there because I don't see a lot of looking out at all. We all know that one of the undesired aircraft states of the failure to look out is a mid-air collision. The mitigation is not just looking out, but sometimes people do a lookout, but not properly. Clear left, clear centre, clear right. That's not a lookout. That's a reciting in action. You need to pause. You need to let your eyes settle in first order to detect an aircraft or any movement. It's very easy to miss another aircraft at the best of times. Just add in some low light, sun in your eyes, some smoke, some haze, cloud, or any other aircraft blending into its background because of its paint scheme, the threat increases. So we must... Mitigate this by slowing down our scan and building our situational awareness and adding to this listening to aircraft radio calls, making it so important to actually make the radio calls regardless if you think you're on your own or not. So you can see that just in this example alone, your actions can impact others. You could be doing the best lookouts possible looking around, listening to the radio, volumes, perfect level, right frequency, all that stuff. But if others are not doing the right thing, this breaks down your situational awareness or SA big time. This can lead to a breakdown and separation, leading to a near miss, an air prox, a collision, a runway incursion, or even lining up on opposite ends of the runway, just to name a few. Let's have a look at my situation the other day. How it could have possibly ended. It ended well. We were flying in a twin and we went over to Bathurst Island to the north of Darwin and uh, we we did our general handling and then it was time for circuits. On the final touch and go, well, actually I was planning to do a couple more, but it became the final one, our flapless touch and go, we started to float. I said to the student to close the throttle because this is why. He said he had. And sure enough, I looked down, and there were the throttles all the way back. But we still had about 2,000 RPM on the left engine. I took control, took off, established we had full power. aircraft was fine, responded normally. We cleaned up the gear, climbed up overhead Bathurst. All right, so what do we do now? Well, let's go through it. So... If you remember that decision-making model that I used last time, remember there's a whole heap of them, I grade and all these others, but I use the Recognize, Control, Contain, Safe Flight method and then Diagnose, Decide, Review a Monitor. So let's go through it. So we recognized that there was something going on. I didn't know exactly which engine at the time, but a throttle wasn't retarding fully and we had too much power. So how did I decide what was going on? Well, I grabbed the uh, throttle of the left and I brought it all the way back to idle. And I had to look at the power indications and then I brought the right one back. And I could see that the right one went all the way as expected. So the left engine was definitely still producing power. What's wrong? Well, it doesn't really matter, I guess, but the suspicion is that the throttle cable's probably sticking or catching or something like that. Something stopping it idling. All right, so what are we going to do now? Well, the aircraft's under control. The issue is contained at this point, and we're above Bathurst Island. We're safe. What are we going to do? We're going to go back to Darwin. The aircraft's flying fine. had been the whole time. It was just this landing. So we knew we had power. So we headed off to Darwin, and I spoke to the pilot, and said, all right, well, when you're ready, you give me your, uh, your your approach brief for Darwin. And he went through the things that you'd expect. We're going to follow our clearance, come in on a right base and land. And I said, yep, okay, that sounds good. But what about the throttle? I hadn't really thought about that. Now, not to say that this is what would have happened, but let's just say that he didn't think about it any further, came in and landed And then tried to react to whatever happened. All right, this was a known issue now. We've identified a problem. So, part of our threat and error management is to now go through the process and decide well, how am I actually going to land this aeroplane? So, what is the threat? Well, we've got a stuck throttle. What are the handling errors that could result because of this? Well, we've got a bit of asymmetric thrust on landing. So, we could land crooked. We could veer off the runway a little bit depending on how bad it is because, again, we only identified it very quickly and then reapplied power. So we haven't got a full appreciation of what's going on. We uh, could land with a bit of power, so we're going to float. That will mean that we're not going to transfer the weight of the aircraft on the tyres properly. So if we brake too quickly, we could lock up a tyre and that's going to potentially burst a tyre. All right, So there's all these things. We're obviously going to land longer than expected and we might have trouble slowing down and finally we might have trouble vacating the runway. All right. So the undesired aircraft states are a decelerating, asymmetric aircraft. How are we going to deal with that? So some mitigation, mitigation strategies or some countermeasures that we decided was that when we land, we're just going to do exactly that. We're going to touch down. We're going to look at the power and see what the engine's doing. What is it producing? If we can't close the throttle, we're going to raise the flaps. That will dump the remaining lift, put all the weight on the wheels, and then we can start to brake. If that's not working because the power's still too high, well, then we need to do something with that thrust. So two options. We could shut it down. Now, we don't need to feather it because we're on the ground. We're not going to go flying again. So we could just pull the mixture lever. But I wanted to try and keep the the engine running if at all possible. Uh, Especially if it's trying to get off the runway, we would have had to turn right and trying to turn right into the live engine. Sometimes that can be problematic and a little bit challenging. So instead, I elected to lean the mixture aggressively and we will control the power output that way. So it'll stay running, but we'll bring the power back. The other thing I decided to do was kill one magneto. It's only going to take out a little bit of power, but anything would help. So once we had that discussion, now we felt ready to actually come in and land. We thought about all the possible uh, outcomes and the things that could go right or wrong. And we had an uneventful landing. All right. So like I said, nothing too scary, but there was quite a strong potential for this to be mishandled and potentially end up with an aircraft running off a runway or flat spotting or blowing up a tire, all right? So all these processes of this threat near management is not just a pre-flight consideration, but it's during flight as well. Things come up all the time and they're always there waiting to get you and tempt you into making a mistake or doing something foolish. All right, so hopefully that all gives you some uh, good food for thought on just really what, non-technical skills are and threat management and just some ways to go about logically processing and coming up with mitigation strategies so that hopefully we don't have to launch any countermeasures. All right. I was going to go through um, an accident too, but I really feel it'll be a bit rushed to make this episode a bit long. So I'm going to do that another time. And uh, I have had some requests to go through some ATSB accident reports Again, as always, not to uh, you know point fingers at anybody, but the, the beautiful thing about aviation is we have this thing called the ATSB where we do actually get these reports and we can learn from each other's uh, mistakes and unfortunately misfortunes, but with the intent of trying to stop it ever happening again. And obviously my job as an instructor and examiner is very much in that space. So... If you've got any good uh, accident report, well, not good, but you know what I mean, uh, accident reports that that have a really good uh, message for others that you think would be good for me to uh, go through and discuss, then please send them through to me. You can get me on email, info at trentrobinsonaviation.com.au. And uh, if you use a Darwin flight training email, you won't get me. They can forward it to me, of course, but I don't answer that one anymore. So send to that, and also you can get me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. All the links are in the episode description for this podcast player, whatever you use. Seems like Spotify and Apple are the favorites, but there's some Google users out there too. All right, but whatever you're listening on, episode description has all that there. And of course, if you wish to f- support me further and become a subscriber to the podcast podcast, Your tax-deductible membership through patreon.com forward slash Flight Training Australia is waiting for you, and I would dearly love to have you on board, just like Jack who came on this week. Thank you for that, mate, and thank you for coming on board. So much appreciated. All right, that is it for this week. Have a fantastic day. Fly safe. Have an amazing uh, flying experience, study experience, whatever it is you're doing. I will talk to you next week, all right? But until then, blue skies and remember the golden rule. Aviate, navigate, communicate. Cheers, everyone.